Uh, today we'll be in Psalm chapter 13, uh, so you can follow along on the screen, or if you have your own copy of God's Word, uh, I invite you to turn there. Psalm chapter 13 uh, says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is uh, to sing your praises today, uh, not because uh, it's easy, but even when it's challenging. God, I I know that many are coming from different uh, walks of life, different weeks, different uh, ups and downs. And so, Lord, we're thankful that we can unite uh, together here under the cross, in a sense, uh, at the foot of the cross, claiming what Christ has done on our behalf. God, we don't come to you today because we're worthy. We're come, we come to you today because your Son is, and He has invited us back into your presence. So, Lord, receive now these moments uh, as we uh, consider your Word and the impact it has on us. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, advance your kingdom first in our own hearts and then outside of these walls for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've told the story, I think, a few times uh, personally in conversation, but I don't think I've told it in a sermon yet, that we, um, my, my wife Amber and I, uh, had some great premarital counseling. Uh, a, friend, a, a pastor that was a friend of a friend uh, did our premarital counseling since my father-in-law was doing our wedding, and uh, so we didn't really know him going in, but he just did an outstanding job. And we quote uh, this pastor all the time uh, from different things he, he taught us. But there was one thing he did that didn't go quite so well in our, I'm sure in all of his experience, uh, everybody else it was great for, but for us, it was a total fail, mainly because of me. Uh, and that was, uh, he invited us on like the second or third time we got together to come prepared to list the other person's strengths and weaknesses but here's the catch you couldn't talk about it before you got to his office and so I was really stressed about that like I was nervous about trying to describe my you know at the time fiance's weaknesses in front of this guy I didn't really know you know how it was going to go so in all of that stress I put a lot of thought into that especially into the weaknesses and this is just a you know a, a word to the to the wise here being shorter isn't necessarily less painful, you know? You can use a few words to dig pretty deep. So the words that have now been quoted back to me hundreds of times uh, by, you know, Amber and then other people that have heard this story is that I said in front of this nice pastor that my fiancé lacks emotional stability. Yeah, it was rough. Just, just as bad as you think it is, it was, it was that bad. Um, and... That was not the kindest way to say that. And, uh, and Amber knows I was going to tell this story today. That's why she's not here. No, I'm just kidding. That's not. 
She's not, not, no, I'm just kidding. No, she's, uh, she's at home with the kids. She's doing great. But she did know I was going to tell that story. And um, the reality of, the, of that is, um, at the time, nine years ago, I, I was still trying to figure out this emotional person that I'm, I'm marrying. And, and what I did not realize then, but I, I soon came to realize, and now I realize now, is that Amber's ability to express her emotion is an incredible strength. Her, her ability to be able to say what she's actually feeling is a strength I don't have. All the time, Amber recognizes something I'm feeling, and I don't even know it. Because she's able, she is in tune with what she's thinking and feeling, and she can express that. And to somebody who isn't like that, it just felt like a roller coaster. The truth is, I was on just as big of a roller coaster, I just didn't know it. And so often, when we come in contact with our emotions, we, we're all over the map. Some of you wear them on your sleeve, and everybody knows exactly what you're feeling all the time. Other people, like you feel like you never get to know them because they, they don't really ever open up, and you don't know how they're feeling. You don't know what they really and truly think. And so as I was wrestling with that in marriage, uh, I came across, what do you know, uh, the Bible. Uh, come to find out, it is also full of emotion. So if I'm going to, to wage a, a weapon against my wife and say that she lacks emotional stability, I would also have to say that of King David, because as emotional as, as Amber is, and as many of you are in tune with your emotions in a much better way than I am, King David expresses a whole range of emotions just here in the Psalms, and other Psalms written by other people. Uh, it has been uh, kind of my you know, uh, standard, I, I like thinking like Paul, you know, kind of logical, one, point A leads to point B, leads to point C, and that kind of thing, but throughout the Bible, it is full of places where people lay it all out before the Lord. The Psalms are, are, are prayers. They, they teach us how to pray, but they're also songs that people would have sung throughout the, 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 the history of the church and before, uh, even into the Old Testament. These are songs. And so it makes sense that many of these songs deal with not just the, the, the happy times, praising God and the good times, but they also deal with the, the hard times, the difficult times. I mean, if you listen to the, to the radio, any, any genre, basically, of music, it, it seems like half, if not more, of the songs are not about good things. They're about hard things we go through. And so it is of the Psalms. At least a third of the Psalms in the, this 150-chapter book, at least a third of them, are called Psalms of Lament. They're Psalms when, when things aren't going well. What, how do you express that? How do you, how do you take that and, and shape that in a way that's a prayer and a song back to God. And the Psalms of Lament uh, are the way that you do that. Psalm 13 is going to lead us uh, today in one of these Psalms of Lament. It's a very short psalm, just six verses. And what I want you to see in this psalm is a pathway. I want, to see, I want you to see these steps we can take toward uh, lamenting in a way that honors God. Lament may not be a word that's in your regular vocabulary, but I think it's a word worth knowing because it's a way that we can pray through those difficult emotions we struggle with uh, when we need them. In every situation, you know, whatever you may be coming through, all of it's different. So, so these steps will look different in everybody's life. But today, my, my, my hope is to give you a template and then to help lead you in a way that we can lament back to God in a powerful way. So the first step uh, for you, if you'll follow along on your outline, on this pathway to lament, the first step is pain. The first step is pain. Laments are for times when we feel pain in some 
way, shape, or form. So the first step is just acknowledging that, acknowledging the pain that we experience in our lives. We saw this phrase uh, come up in Psalm 62 uh, two weeks ago. Verse 1 of Psalm 13 starts with, How long, O Lord? How long? Here David uses that phrase four times just in the first two verses. And he's not asking uh, for a date on the calendar. He's not asking, you know, is there a specific moment this is going to be over, God? I'm just, you know, checking in. You know, can, you, can I run my calendar by your... No, he's not asking for information. He's grieving that this thing that has bothered him has lasted as long as it has. He's trying to say, this is still going on? He, he's just expressing that pain and emotion back to God. God, David is full of grief, and he's saying, I, 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 can't, I, can't know, I don't know if I can handle this anymore. You'll notice as we go through this, David uh, gives almost no direct descriptions of exactly what he's going through, but that is helpful to us because then we can take it and then apply it to a variety of different situations. So he says in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That is, David is accusing God of forgetting about him, and hiding from him. Now, you, you may hear that and be like, yeah, okay. No big I hear that and I'm like, don't want lightning to strike David. Like, can you say that, David? Can you, can you look at God, like looking up at the sky saying, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Are you hiding somewhere? Do I need to go look for you? That, that, when I hear that in the Bible, I, I'm, I'm almost offended. I'm like, David. Let me tell you something about how you talk to God. You know, like that's, that's what comes up in me. I asked Amber about this. She doesn't feel that way at all. She's like, yeah, me and David, we got that in common. I say that all the time. I'm like, what? You know? But this is, this is in the Bible. This is in the Bible that David is crying out with that kind of emotion and raw pain back to God. And I want you to hear that as a comfort today and to give you some freedom to, to express what you're really... Because let's be honest. If that's what's going on in your heart, and you just don't say it out loud, you're not hiding that from God. You're just hiding it from yourself. God knows what you're thinking, so say it. Acknowledge the pain you're going through and expressing it back to God. Lament starts with saying to God what we're feeling, acknowledging the pain we're going through. Now, it is important to notice that, that of course, David is not giving a, a theological treatise about God. God is not actually hiding, right? God has not actually forgotten. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He is always with us. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. What does David mean by this? He's The feeling he has, he feels abandoned. He feels like God is nowhere to be found. That's not true. He is right there with him. But God frequently will hold something back from us. He won't act in the, right, in the, in the way we want him to and on the timeline we want him to. So it feels like we're abandoned. It feels like God is nowhere to be found. And it's okay in those moments to say that back to God. I wonder if you've ever been in a place where you felt like this, this, this could be your prayer. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Do I have to go through this for the rest of my life? I, I cannot picture the end of this, God. How, how could you possibly be putting me through this? Has that, has that been your prayer? Is that where, if you felt that kind of pain? Verse 2 says, how long should my 
enemy be exalted over me. God, don't you know the people that are on the other side of this thing that I'm facing? They're not, they're not good. Or this disease, this isn't good. Or this loss of a job, this isn't a good thing. You're letting the bad guys win, God. Why? Why? Learning to lament is learning to acknowledge those things, to call them out, to say what they are, and to, to express that pain back to God. This morning, can you, can you acknowledge that pain? Can you name it? Like, have I already given you enough time where you, you, you got it? Like, you know the things that you're going through that have left, that, left those kind of prayers in your heart, the kind of pain that you've been through. Maybe it was personal. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's job-related, money-related. Maybe it's something related to this crazy, awful virus that is just grieving you, bugging you. Maybe it's whether or not you got to wear a mask. Maybe it's whether or not we never get back to normal at church. Maybe it's what in the world are our schools going to do? And you feel like throwing something at the TV every time somebody, you know, or the Internet or whatever, every time somebody gives a different opinion. And you're like, God, yeah. How are we going to figure this all out? What are parents supposed to do? If the kids can't go to school, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What about the health of our kids or our grandparents or whatever else? Is this a big deal? Is it not a big deal? What are we supposed to do, God? How long can our world live in a global pandemic? How long can we be so divided? How long is this going to go on? Maybe those are some of the things stressing you. Maybe the things stressing you are racial unrest in our society. Maybe that's bothering you. Maybe you're looking at our world saying, God, shouldn't we have won this battle like 150 years ago? Shouldn't we be past this? But we're obviously not. We obviously have not figured this out. God, how long is our world still going to be divided by race? How long is our world still going to be struggling to get along? Can you express that pain back to God? Can you acknowledge it and tell Him, this, this is what I'm going through? Many of us have that in us and then just have a hard time saying it back to God. And the Psalms give us the freedom. They invite us to express that pain. That's the, if you're going to go down this step, and we're going to see this ends in a good place, but, but you can't rush to the end here. This is a pathway. You can't jump over steps. You've got you to keep going. Down this, and the first one is you've you got to acknowledge it. You've got to see the pain. And you've got to be able to say it. You've got to acknowledge what it is that's grieving your heart in order to be able to make the next step. But I think there's also something else that goes on here, kind of a, a, a two-edged sword here. The, the reality is, many times, if, if you're like me, to, to kind of like protect myself and, and to hide from things, I, I, will, I will hide myself from even trying to feel pain because I don't want to carry the burden. Do you do this? When the news comes on, something bad happens, you just flip the channel. I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. And, and we are limited beings. We can only carry so much. Like, you know, that's... That, that happens sometimes. But there's also a place, I think, for us to say, I, I need to grieve this. I need to grieve what's going on. Like if we're not grieving over racial injustice, if we're not grieving over a world still broken by this pandemic, and we, we need to feel that. If our feeling is just, hey, it's fine, you know, whatever, we're good, then, then we're not going to be able to get to the end anyway. The same, we're still not going to be able to get to where we need to go. So we've we got to feel the pain, and we've got to be able to acknowledge it back to God. I, uh, I did you know, extra reading around these psalms of lament, and, and, and some people call this first step complaining. C 
complaining. How about that for a holy Jesus-y word, right? The first step is you got to complain. Everybody knows how to do that, right? Everybody knows how to say, this is not what I want it to be. From toddlers to elderly people, like you can all picture a complainer. Some people, yeah, that's all you hear, right, is just complaining. That's probably not what we're talking about either here. But, but acknowledging the hard thing and being able to say it out loud. People that are really good at that step, they don't, they don't need me or the, the Bible to tell them to do that. Many of us, you know, we need, we need some advice, you know, to push us. But here's, here's a key difference here in what the Bible is talking about. This complaining is the first step on a pathway, acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the hard things. But you can't stay there. You, you can't live there. Complaining is a step to walk through. It's not a house to live in. So you gotta, you got to step in it. you got to acknowledge it. Step on that step, but then you got to keep going. And moving to step two is the difference between a non-believer and a believer. A non-believer, you don't have to know anything about God to be able to complain about the world, right? You don't have to know anything about Jesus to be able to say, this stinks, you know? But to be a believer is to go from step one to step two, because step two is to take that pain and turn it into a prayer. Take that pain and turn it into a prayer. A believer takes all the, the complaining, all the stress, all the, all the sorrows, all the grief, all the anguish, and it acknowledges it, not just out loud in general, but directly to God, to pray to God with all the things we're going. Remember verse 1, he said, How long, O Lord? Again, in small caps, in all your English translations, noticing it's Yahweh. He's calling God by name. David knows this is the covenantal God who has made a promise to his people and will never leave him down for a second. He is calling out God's name. So this isn't just complaining in general. He's calling out directly to God. And he's turning his pain into a prayer back to him. He may be complaining, but he is expressing that he knows the one who is ultimately in charge. David has a relationship with God. And even in his pain, even in his grief and his sorrow, he continues in that relationship. He expresses that relationship back to him. Verse 3 and 4 kind of capture this prayer, what he's asking for in prayer. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. That word shaken comes up in our, our memory verse. When, we, when we're in a good place, when we're claiming the rock, the salvation, the fortress, we say, I will not be shaken. But David here is saying, I'm about to be shaken. It's the same word, Psalm 62 and Psalm 13. I'm about to be shaken. God, you've got to show up and help me. You've got to help me. He's calling on God directly, asking him to help. In verse 3, his life is on the line. He says, if you don't light up my eyes, if you don't bring life back into my eyes, I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. I'm going to be put in the grave. I'm going to sleep and not wake up if God doesn't help us. Verse 4, his enemies are out to get him. They're about to attack him. And through all that pain, David knows where to turn. He turns to God. And I love this. Even though David, we can just say he's mad at God. He's mad at God. He's angry with God. And even in that anger, he knows where to turn. He turns to the Lord. David is showing us how important it is, even in our anger, frustration, grief, pain, sorrow, whatever, to keep the lines of communication open between us and God. Even when it feels one directional. Even when it feels like you're not hearing back like you want to. Even when it feels like God's not saying to you what you want to hear. 
Keep the lines of communication open. Every parent knows it's better to have the lines of communication open with a child than to have the silent treatment, right? Like, I'm an adult. I'm big enough to handle a temper tantrum from my toddlers. I can take it, you know? I know they're kids. I know they lose their temper sometimes. Hey, Lois and Mikey, I love you. You know? Like, I know they're going to lose their temper, and I can handle it. I'm a dad. At least I try to handle it, you know? But it would be way harder if they grow up and they just shut me out completely, wouldn't it? That'd be way harder to just have silence, to have nothing. I'd much rather them be angry at me than to stop talking altogether. And so it is with the Lord. When there is no communication between us and God, when, we're not, when we stop praying, we have stepped off the pathway of lamenting. Lamenting is continuing down the pathway, continuing the communication. This is how I feel. And step two, I'm telling you about it, God. I'm still praying to you, even when I don't feel like you're talking back to me. When it comes to God, we may feel like he is the one that has messed up. We may feel like this is his fault. If you go through the Psalms, the prayers of lament, some of the laments are, I've messed up. Some of the Psalms are, you know, my enemy messed up. He did something mean to me. But some of them, like Psalm 13, are, God, I feel like you're messing up. But at least he's talking to God. At least he's got the communication open. We still cry to him. When we, when we cry out to him, we're, we're saying, he's our father. I, I want to keep talking to him. When, when we continue that communication, we, we are expressing a form of faith. It may be an angry faith, maybe a mad faith, whatever, maybe, but it is still a step of faith because we're saying he's the one that can hear it. He's the one that can hear my prayer, and he's the one that can do something about it. We're believing, when we pray, we say we believe deep down, even if I don't want to say it, <laughs> that I know he, he can help us. Most of us are pretty good at being mad, right? You, you don't have to, I don't have to ask, run a whole bunch of illustrations through your mind. You know what makes you mad, right? When you're mad, who do you complain to? Do you complain to the one that made you mad? You just yell back. Do you complain to a friend or a spouse? Do you complain to social media? This will make me feel better, I'm sure, if I just get all the words out in all caps, right? doesn't help. God says, come, come to me. I'm big enough. I can take it. You got your pain. You got your sorry. I, I can take your grief. That keeps the communication open between us and God. Do you feel abandoned by God? Tell him. Do you feel a sorrow in your heart, a, a turmoil in your gut that you just can't get rid of? Just tell him. Do you feel like there's an enemy that is about to overtake him, to take, overtake you? Tell him. He can take it. That prayer is a step of faith. It may feel small. It may feel, you know, even ugly. It's not beautiful. It's not pretty. But it's a step of faith. Angry prayer, sad prayer, mad prayer, sobbing prayer, it's all faith. It's bringing your pain back to God and saying, God, God's the one that can handle this. When we fail to bring it to God and we just complain or try to just change it on our own or whatever else, then we're showing we, we don't have faith. We, we, don't, we don't actually trust in God. We're trusting in someone else, something or someone else. But if we pray, then we're still making a step down the, down the pathway. We're still, we're still moving. Right? All of us, in these, you can take your time 
uh, whatever time you may need on these steps, you know. It may, you may have to sit in the pain for a little while and just feel it before you're willing to, to pray, right? It may take you some time, but eventually you, you make that step and you, you start taking that pain and, and forming it into a prayer back to God. And if we're willing to move that, and we're still, we're still moving. We're still going along this pathway. But just like on step one, if we, if we stop at just angry prayer, it's not, very, it's not a very good place to live either. Just living in a house of pain, that, that doesn't sound like fun. Just, just living in a, a place of prayers that are all painful, that, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun either. It may take a while, but you still can't, you can't live there. That, that, that's not a good place to build, build your home. See, the real, the real beauty of these psalms of lament throughout the psalms is that they go one more step. Like it, I think it's, it's one level of shocking to me that these things are even said in the Bible. Like that still gets, I'm kind of like, eh, every time I read one, you know. But the real shocking one is the next one. Because uh, if you go from being a, bel- if a, a believer has to take the pain and turn it into a prayer, but then being spiritually mature or spiritually wise is what moves that prain- painful prayer to a place of trust. Pain to prayer to trust. Listen to verse 5 and 6. I mean, if, if, if it was a big jump, to express pain back to God and to tell Him, God, I feel like you've abandoned me, then verse 5 and 6 is an even bigger jump. It says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. God, this is how mad I am at you. And I trust you anyway. That's a remarkable change of tone for King David to say. Do you know what changed between verse 4 and 5? Did did the circumstances change? Nope. Is is David saying that that God showed up and and, and made a a powerful statement to him in the sky after he said verse 4 and gave him some reassurance and, and, and answered all of his questions? Nope. Is the sorrow gone? Are the enemies defeated? Is he any less likely to die because of whatever he's facing? No. Nothing changed around him. And he found a way to praise God anyway. David is walking on this pathway of lament from pain to expressing that pain back to God in prayer to being able to trust God right in the middle of it. He started with being honest about his pain. That honesty led to prayer because he believes in God. That belief brought him to prayer. But because he has a deep, abiding, mature relationship with his heavenly Father, then he's able to turn to God and say, I trust you. I trust you. I know you're there. We, I told you around, a, around 50 or so, a third of the Psalms are laments, and almost every single one of them have this element in them where they express the pain back to God in prayer, and then in almost all of them, somewhere in there, they say something about trusting God anyway. That is the, the beauty to me of the laments. That they're willing to get as deep as our hearts will go on how bad we feel, and yet they express with the highest of praise just how great God is, even when we feel awful. David is, is condensing this, this pathway for us. It's only six verses. It may take you longer 
to get to step three than just the 30 seconds it takes you to read these. But what the laments are calling you to do is that eventually you've got to get to, ver- you got to, get to the third step. That's where you can build a house. That's where you can build a house. The grief hasn't changed. The sorrow hasn't changed. We're not in charge of the circumstances. What we have control over, by God's help, is where our heart is. That we can build a house there and say, God, even in the pain, I'm going to trust you. Between the painful prayer of verses 1 to 4 and the trust of verse 5 to 6, it may be longer than this hour-long service. It may be longer than today. Maybe longer than a week or a year. Some point, though, you've got to go from verse 4 to verse 5. You've got to finish it out. You've got to take the third step. And the key is knowing that that, that is the goal. Psalm 13 may, may not apply to you today. You may not feel like it applies to you. But you can keep this one in your back pocket because it applies to all of us at some point. And it's helpful, I think, even on the front end, even when we don't like it, to know that that trust is where, where we've got to end up. We've got to end up at that third step. Did you hear David's part in this? The way he described how he felt? The words he used were, he trusts, he rejoices, and he sings. Why? why? How, how can he do that? Because of the God part of those verses. Did you hear how God was described in those places, in those verses? Steadfast love, salvation, and he has dealt bountifully. He has been so, so good to us. I hope you're not getting tired of hearing about this word steadfast love in the Psalms. It just comes up. Like, I'm not trying always to find it. But here's the word hesed we keep seeing over and over again. If you're tired of it, just close your Bibles because you're going to find it everywhere you go. It's all through the Psalms, all through the Old Testament, this Hebrew word hesed, which so beautifully captures God's covenantal promise, His loyalty, His loyal love to us, that He has promised He will continue to be with His people. So David, even in his grief and sorrow, he remembers the promise of God, the steadfast love of the Lord. And it's because of that he can rejoice, even when things are hard. He can rejoice even in the pain. Even before it's over, he can turn to God and say, you are the God of salvation. You have saved me. I will be with you for eternity. And he has saved us. He will continue to guide us each moment along the way. That is the pathway of lament, pain, prayer, and trust. And so here's the definition of lament. I read this this week in a book called Weep With Me About Laments. So the bottom of your page, and this is what I want you to take home. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And you can see how all three of those are so important. We've got to acknowledge the pain. We've got to turn that pain back to God in prayer. And when we do, it will lead us to a place of trusting Him. Biblically, all three of those are necessary. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. There, there is a, a, a popular form uh, of faith that gets expressed in all kinds of different ways right now that will say things like, I have the faith that I'm not going to get the coronavirus. Or, I have the faith that God's going to heal this disease. Or, I have the faith that I'm going to get this job. Or that this circumstance is going to work out. And to, to an outsider, to somebody that expresses that, that, that may feel and sound like a very deep form of faith, that I have the assurance that this circumstance is going to work out. Now, don't hear me wrong. God absolutely can prevent you from disease. He can get you the job. He can answer your deepest requests. All the time, God loves to give good gifts to His children. But I want you to hear these giants of the faith, like King David or Joseph 
or Job or Peter or Paul who had all kinds of terrible things happen to them. Awful things. And their faith was deeper because they trusted God through it. Not because God let them skip over it, but through it. It is a deeper form of faith to say, God, you might give me COVID. You might take my job, my family. You might take anything. I'm going to trust you anyway. You have. For many of you, that, those, the, the bottom has already been. You've already been there. You can say, I, I've been to the bottom. If your faith was dependent upon you not going to the bottom, you'd get rid of it. But you've already been to the bottom. And we trust God through it. There is a, a, a plague of easy believism in the church today that says, I, I believe I can conquer this. You can, but doesn't mean you will. And it doesn't make God any less God just because you go to the pit. It just means He's going to bring you through it. And it may not be in this life. Don't hear me wrong. Amen. It may be that you die in the pit, but death can't defeat us. That's the good news of the gospel. Don't hold out a shallow faith for the world and say, follow me as I keep things easy. Say, God might take me to the bottom. Come with me if you want, because God's there. I'm going to trust him through it. God's big enough to handle your pain. God's big enough to handle your sorrow. And the way you know it, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is because he went through it himself on the cross. You want to talk about faith in the middle of grief? It's Jesus on the night before he's crucified saying, take this from me, but even if you don't, your will be done, not mine, God. On the cross, Jesus felt the pain of feeling forgotten by the Father. Like what could be more rejected than being crucified for the sin of the world? He felt like the Father was hiding His face from the Son. From the night before the garden to all the way on the cross, Jesus knew this was the sorrow in His heart, a grief that was unimaginable. He knew what it was to have sorrow in His heart. And he knew what it was like to have his enemies prevail over him. Jesus lived Psalm 13 in a way much deeper than any of us will ever experience. And because Jesus walked the path of lament, verses 1 to 4, you and I can hold on to the promises of 5 and 6 with full assurance. Jesus proved once and for all that no matter how bleak it gets, we can trust in the steadfast love of the Father. Jesus proved once and for all we can rejoice with the joy of salvation because Jesus accomplished it. Jesus proved once and for all we can sing forever that He has been so, so good to me. He has dealt bountifully for me, with me. Not just because the circumstances work out and things are going well in this moment, but because He has made a way for my sins to be forgiven and for me to live in eternity with Him. That is a gospel worth proclaiming. That is good news worth sharing with the world. Lauren Daigle sings a song I'm sure many of you know called Trust in You. And you may have heard her, her story behind that, that song. She lived with her grandfather while she was at 
LSU while she was a student there. And she was very close with this grandfather. Uh, she credits her grandfather with being the one that kind of drew out her, her talents. People would come over to the house, and uh, her grandfather would make her turn Adele on the radio and sing you know, along with it to these, whoever. He would, he would just make her perform in, in her house there. You know? And uh, she was just so close to that, to that grandfather, she moves away to Nashville uh, to start her singing you know, career and recording and everything. And uh, there was a, her, her, her grandfather was diagnosed with cancer while she was in Nashville recording. And there was a week coming up. They're supposed to be recording this new album. And she's getting news that things are going worse. And she, she's like, I just, I, I couldn't do it. So she put recording off. And, and I know just enough about that industry. Like, you can't just record whenever you want. There's all these pieces that come together. It was a big deal to put off recording an album, right? She goes home to be with her grandfather. And that's, that's the week he passed away. She got to be with him she put that off. Well, putting that off wasn't just like to the next week. It was like months later. And as she's dealing with that grief and that sorrow, she was like, I, I prayed that God would save my grandfather. Like, this was my inspiration. And, and he, had, he had fought for so much for her. And he, she wanted him to live long enough to see that album recorded and see her success. And she just knew that this was going to be great. And he didn't get to see it like she wanted to. He passed away. But in the months that were between that moment and her actual recording is when she wrote now one of her most famous songs, Trust in You. It says, when you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you. That's a lament is what it is expressing the pain back to God in prayer in a way that leads us, not because the circumstances change, to trust God in the middle of it. 